Welcome to A State of Mind, the podcast that brings together consciousness, meditation, mindfulness, psychology, psychedelics, and so much more in pursuit of this mystery we call life. This is Julian Royce. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, I'm excited about today's episode. It is another one that deals with politics, but not maybe in the way you're thinking. It's not about a certain party or candidate, or it's you know it's not a partisan thing. It's more about the way we vote altogether. And I reached out to an organization that is working to have you know working to bring us a better way of voting. That way of voting is called ranked choice voting. I mean, this organization didn't create it. But um, they're working here in Colorado to have us be able to choose local elections in this way. And um, so today I'm speaking with Matt Benjamin. And Matt is someone who got involved with politics at the local level here in Boulder, Colorado. He ran for city council and he, he shares his story with us. But basically, you know, he ran a good campaign. He was passionate about it. He had good intentions. He didn't win. But what was more difficult for him than not winning was realizing that just by running and getting a decent amount of votes, he actually helped elect the person he least liked to the position he was running for because he took votes away from the other candidate that he was closer to in terms of uh, positions and policy. And so he realized how problematic our whole voting system is. And ranked choice voting is a little bit, um, it takes a little bit of time to explain, but if you listen to our conversation, you will understand it. You will be able to explain it to others. Um, and I think you'll see how much better of a system it is to try to put it in, you know, to try to say what it is right here at the beginning. It's basically like instead of just voting for one person for a position, you could rank your choices. Like say there were 10 people running for a position. Um, instead of just voting for one of them, you could rank your first choice, your second choice and your third choice. If your first choice does not win that office, your vote is not wasted. Your vote then goes to who you chose for number two. And if that number two choice, again, doesn't do that well, doesn't win, your vote then goes to your third party choice. Um, what that does is it allows you to vote for the person you really want to vote for and not have your vote be wasted. So our current system has kind of reached its logical conclusion, I think. I think we're all ready for a change, but it's, it's led to this system of having to choose the worst, you know, the lesser of two evils, or some people are out there like their vote is a protest vote. They don't really like the person they're voting for, but they're just going to vote for them to kind of say F you to the system. And then a lot of people don't participate at all because they don't like the choices that they're given. Um, so I think ranked choice voting is a great idea. It's something that I learned about many years ago, and it's been a long time coming. And it's used with success in places like Europe and Australia, and it's used um, in a lot of local elections across the country. So this is going to be the last episode directly on politics, at least for the next couple weeks, most likely. And we'll get back to more of the kinds of conversations that we're used to having here on the podcast. Um, I have another psychedelic assisted therapist coming on next Monday, so I'm excited about that. That will be Daniel McQueen with Medicinal Mindfulness. And... Just one quick tangent here. Um, part of how I got so interested in this ranked choice voting um, 
system was the first time I ever got to vote was in the 2000 election. And I proudly cast my vote at that time for the Green Party. And, um, you know, interestingly, I was researching this for this podcast episode, and it turns out HBO is releasing a documentary on the 2000 election uh, today, October, what is it, 21st. So that was a synchronicity or coincidence, depending on how you look at it. But, um, you know, this election in 2000, Gore won the popular, yeah, Gore won the popular vote, but Bush won through the Electoral College, through the Supreme Court interfering. Um, Ralph Nader and the Green Party got, what was it, 2.8 million votes in that election. So clearly, if we'd had a ranked choice voting system, and maybe the Green Party, maybe other parties would have gotten more votes, but more people would have then had their vote counted, and it wouldn't have had the spoiler effect where people blame the Green Party for Gore losing. Um, the Green Party got 97,000 votes in Florida, for example, and it was declared that Bush won that state by 535 votes. And um, I mean, there's obviously a lot that we could say about this, but basically the Supreme Court came in and decided the election. The Supreme Court voted completely along partisan lines. If you look at our Constitution, the Supreme Court is explicitly designed to be a nonpartisan uh, branch of the government to check and balance the other branches of the government. They are supposed to interpret the law not based on their personal biases or their personal beliefs or their party affiliations. And so this you know, was such a corrupt decision. I think it has had a longer lasting impact than maybe many of us realize because we just want to forget about it and move on. Um, let's see. And then I recently learned if we had gone back and recounted all the votes in the state of Florida, Gore almost certainly would have won that state. And there were other shenanigans like uh, at that time in Florida, it was illegal for convicted felons to vote even after they'd been released from jail. And they used a list of names created by uh, some kind of independent corporation um, of all the felons living in Florida. And then anyone whose name matched name on that list, their vote was not counted. Now, a lot of people happen to have the same name as someone who convicted a felony. And those people's votes weren't counted. So there, there were all kinds of things like that going on. It was um, not a good situation. And so part of why I bring this up, why it still wrinkles me when I think about it, you know, things like the Iraq war that Bush led us into, such a waste of lives and money, um, and the environment, you know, something like, like climate change. Like Al Gore was the most pro-environmental candidate perhaps to ever run for president. And I believe, um, you know, looking back 20 years ago, there's a lot we could have done over the last 20 years to help mitigate something like climate change. And just the way in which our system has become so polarized, how the two-party system has become so dysfunctional over the last 20 years, I really do think it is time for a change. And that is why I wanted to have this episode on ranked choice voting. So that's my tangent. That's my spiel. And without further ado, I bring you Matt Benjamin. And I'm here today with Matt Benjamin. Matt, thanks for being on the podcast. Appreciate it, Julian. It's a pleasure to be on this podcast and uh, look forward to a great conversation. 
Yeah, and you were, you were just telling me that you ran for city council in Boulder in 2017, and you're going to share a little bit about about that. And like the bigger thing that is bringing us together is this idea of ranked choice voting and having a new, improved way that we vote. Um, so I'll just say that. And do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, my name is Matt Benjamin. I'm the uh, campaign chair for Our Mayor, Our Choice, which is a uh, city of Boulder ballot measure uh, that is intended to allow voters to directly elect our mayor using instant runoff ranked choice voting. So we're looking to bring uh, direct uh, some just more accountability and more inclusion to our local political system and um, allow voters to elect our mayor, which is kind of crazy because uh, Boulder is the largest city in Colorado that does not elect its own mayor. Um, yeah, it's kind of hard to believe. A lot of people um, but, but you're you're totally right. Yeah, I, I so one of the things we had to do to get on the ballot was go collect um, a bunch of signatures, thousands of signatures during a pandemic. So that's a whole nother interesting story of, of how do you pursue direct democracy when it is either against the law, against the rules, and you should and unsafe and unethical to be going around knocking on people's doors, but how do you still go about doing that in safe manners? And so it was a pretty uh, interesting story about that. But nonetheless, most people that came up to sign the petitions all either said, what do you mean we don't elect our mayor? Uh, we don't already. And a part of me is like, okay, good. This is, this is just for you. And then the other part of me scared me because I'm like, there's some folks that just don't understand our system because uh, they don't realize that we don't elect our mayor. So uh, voter education is is uh, was one of the key takeaways from our signature gathering process. Yeah, well, I'm glad you did that. I'm glad to see it on the ballot, and um, I imagine it will pass. I hope. Uh, I think anyone who takes the time to read it would support it. <laughs> I hope so. It seems to be common sense. I mean, do, you know, you ask a voter, "Do you want the right to have more de democratic accountability?" Uh, and, and do you want more rights? Do you want more authority in our governmental system and, and politics? And I don't know too many people that would say no to that. Um, so, so we're pretty hopeful that, that it's just straightforward and people want that accountability and they want that right. They want stronger democratic principles, especially in the times we live in now. We think it's a good question to ask folks is when democracy may be at, democracy is maybe at its weakest or, or, or at its low point, um, reaching in and, and leaning in towards stronger democratic principles seems like that's a pretty uh, reasonable thing to ask people. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so I guess there's, I mean, that is obviously, you know, the ballot measure that I support, I think a lot of people would support it. And then this bigger issue of ranked choice voting, do you want to kind of walk people through that and what that would mean? Yeah. So, you know, I, I think it starts with, you know, what is our current system? And our current system goes by a more official name of, of first past the post, which. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, yeah. I, I, when you when you hear that phrase, I, you know, it, it it certainly doesn't make you think of a voting system, uh, but that's it's that's what it's called. And really, the, I think the better way to describe it is it's a plurality voting system means that it's just whoever has the most votes wins. And it's not based on a majority. You could win with very little. In fact, we sort of see that in our politics these days. Uh, in fact, you know, you can be elected president without a majority uh, of the voters supporting you. Um, we've mm -hmm. seen that twice in the last 20 years. Um, but what ranked choice voting does is it is it eliminates that plurality and uh, forces a much higher threshold for individuals to be elected. And in a single winner contest, you, you need to get um, over 50 percent of the support. 
um, and votes to win. And so it, it really has a lot of, uh, I think, beneficial implications when that's the threshold to win and not just a vocal minority that's well organized is able to then gain power and then be in a position to dictate um, to what the majority may otherwise have wanted. Right. So just to kind of like give a simplified example, like in our current system, if we, you know, let's say we had three people running for an office and um, like one, one of those people could get what, I don't know, 40% of the vote. And then the other one can get, you know, 30%. And then the other one can get, what does that leave us with? Uh, leaves it with 30. 30, another 30%. Yeah. Yeah. But if but those two people who got thirty percent, maybe the vast majority of voters would have would have loved to see one of those two rather than that third person. And yet, in our current system, that third person would then win the election. Is that yeah? Is that a good example? Yeah. Of kind of absolutely. And, and really, what you're touching on is what's called the spoiler effect, and, and that is a and that is especially alive and well when more than two candidates, when it's really three or more candidates running. Um, and which is you know not something. And I mean, that's a whole another conversation about you know where. Our third party systems in this country have little to no foothold um, in, in, a, in a meaningful way in our political system. But where the, the spoiler effect really comes into play is at the local and state level, mm -hmm. where you have a, a larger preponderance of third party or even people within the same party. And even think about how this will work in primaries, where you have four or five or six people of the same party vying for a seat. Um, and, and the spoiler effect is live and well. And, and I'll use city of Boulder as a prime example. Um, and I lived this experience of the spoiler effect. When I ran for city council in 2017, um, I aligned fairly well politically with a group of candidates, uh, but was not endorsed by that group. And maybe it's worth talking about Boulder's sort of political bifurcation and, and the polarization that's occurring in our community. Um, but I was not endorsed by the big groups on either side. Uh, I had another set of endorsements from newspapers and other stuff. But but if you're not endorsed by the big groups, you're really on the outside looking in. And that's what has sort of that's the playbook here in Boulder. But I aligned with the, uh, with one of these groups on most of the issues. And so what that ended up meaning is, you know, I performed well enough to to take votes from some of those candidates, not well enough to win, of course. But. By taking votes away, it turned out that one of the people uh, who was an incumbent, um, Jan Burton, she only lost by 800 votes. Um, I accumulated 7,500 votes. And you kind of go, there was easily 800 people that probably, if I weren't running, may have then voted for Jan. Um, and the same is true with another candidate, Mark McIntyre. He lost by a handful of votes. And so you go, man, you know, that's a tough spot because you know, I ran what I thought was a good campaign, didn't win, which is okay. But to feel that you or, or, or one's candidacy would then take away from like-minded people, uh, that, that, that's a hard thing, hard pill to swallow. And then the election result was completely disproportionate. Um, the, you know, the other group uh, had only about 47% of the total votes, but got 80% four of five council seats. So you can tell that, you know, by just having one or two spoilers on one side, a vocal minority can can run away and, and end up being uh, uh, in power politically. And so it really sort of woke me up to, man, there's got to be a better way where you can empower people to run and not penalize them for just having similar ideas as other candidates. 
um, and let people vote their preference um, and not have that gross penalty. And that's where ranked choice voting comes in is um, it allows people to rank their preference. And it's a very common and natural uh, thing to do, right? You you go to the ice cream shop and you're like, I want Rocky road. And then the, you know, the, the ice cream, you know, person working goes, yeah, yeah, we're out of Rocky Road. You don't just leave the ice cream shop because they're out of your first choice. You naturally already have a second or third choice in mind. You're like, oh, okay, fine. I'll go with the cookies and green. So, so you already, you, you preference things in your everyday life. Uh, and and so this is really just enabling that yeah. natural function that makes, uh, to, that to, to go out. Well, I just want to um, look at that one example. I mean, I know that I have people listening from all around the country, even all around the world, you know, but most of the listeners are here in Colorado, but I think it's, it's just worth taking the time to like think about and talk about how our election process works, how are, you know, and be more like think about it more critically. And like the example you just gave, like, you know, you showed up, you got involved, you got engaged, you ran for city council, and then you felt like your running actually res- helped result in someone you didn't want to win winning. And so it's like it puts you in this shitty position, but like, shouldn't, you know, we should have a system where that's not the outcome of running. And on the national level, we've seen this with like in 2000 with Ralph Nader and and Mm -hmm. Gore, like the Green Party and having a third person prominently take away votes, you know, so people aren't able to vote their conscience or what they really want. They have to do this choose between the lesser two evils kind of thing. Yeah, or protest uh, vote. Right. That's the other, you know, people like it's a protest vote and democracy should be be about enabling and and bringing to fruition people's expression of who they want to lead us politically. It shouldn't be about a lesser of evils or protest or strategic voting to make sure the person that you don't want gets it. it should just be much simpler. Vote for who you want and 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 let that be that. Um, but, but our political system and, you know, and, and I, I really treat it like game theory, game theory has gotten a lot of attention, um, in, in the last number of years. And at the end of the day, like this system and, and you know, I mean, we locally and nationally, I mean, it's all the same general system. We, everybody knows the game. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately in our country right now, the winning recipe is division and fear. And we've, we got it. We owe it to ourselves to, either reject that but that seems impossible because why would you why would you leave the playbook if you know it works right i mean if the playbook gets you wins why would you change what you're doing even if it is divisiveness and fear because then you're in the game and and you're winning so sometimes you just have to change the game and and reset that playbook and i think that's kind of where we're at um I, i think that's the frustration and people are looking for solutions because we keep electing folks and we keep having the same problems persist. Um, you know, a good example is we keep electing new people to Congress and yet we haven't enacted term limits yet, but mm-hmm. it seems like, you know, when you poll people, it's like a the super majority of Americans want term limits and yet right. it just can't get done. Well, so, you know, so, you know, there's a lot of stuff <laughs> involved in that. There are so many examples like the one you just gave, where if you ask the majority of people in this country a given question, the majority or even an overwhelming majority would, you know, would answer in the similar way. And yet we don't see that happening on the national level. And so I really think what you're speaking to, ranked choice voting, we'll get more in the details of what that means. Like that's a step in the right answer. But like another example would be like 
you know, like the Citizens United, some of these Supreme Court cases, Citizens United, like should we have unlimited, unregulated money being able to give into any candidate? Like I think the majority of people would say no. And yet we never, it's just, it feels more and more like our, our system doesn't respond to what most people would want. And that leads to people feeling like it's pointless or giving into these like conspiracy theories that we're hearing more and more about or, and I think, I mean, that's a whole nother subject, but I think part of the reason why there's this epic rise in conspiracy thinking is um, people feel powerless. People feel like they're being taken advantage of. There's like a kernel of truth in a lot of these theories like behind them that 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 is people in a sense are powerless. Like we're given choices that we don't want to have. A lot of people look at the ballot and they see two names and they have to choose them. They don't like either one. So. Yeah, no, I, I, I think, you know, the challenge, is, we're not going to fix this. This isn't fixed all right, right? I mean, it's we've had a couple hundred years of, of the system we have entrenching itself in, in all of what we do politically. So it, it just takes, I, I, I liken it to the analogy of, you know, the Titanic, um, you know, big ship, small rudder, and to miss the iceberg you have to start turning early and it's not going to seem like you're making much of a difference until way down the way down the road. Um, and, and so I think that's what we have to start doing is make the small little bites. And and that's hard to do because people are craving results. And then, and we live in a society of instant gratification. And, and so if it can't be a solution that fixes it now, it's not worth taking the incremental steps. And, and that's just, I think a philosophical difference um, but but it is but it is one for us to take note of and taking the small steps will pay off in the long run if we all agree that the long outcome and goals are something we want to be committed to. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the turning the Titanic is a good metaphor. Um, so with the ranked choice voting system, like and you can help me out here, but it's like you would be able to rank your choices from like one to three or one to four. Is that yeah, so the, the, the ranking number is is rather arbitrary in terms of how many you get to rank. That's a decision for every city or county clerk um, to, to determine um, based on the number of candidates and their voting software and their rules for how ballots are made. Um, but, you know, generally speaking, when you, can, when you look at ranked choice voting across the country, it's anywhere between five and seven or eight candidates is, is the number of candidates that you get to rank up to. Um, and, and, you know, it's, that's a, that's a really healthy number and elections haven't really demanded you needing rounds after that. Uh, most rate choice voting elections end after the, you know, second or third round of voting. And it's worth, it's worth keeping in mind, you know, rate choice voting in terms of its, you know, instant runoff form, which is like, you know, a single winner seat, like mayor or, or congressman or Senate or president, not, not for like a city council, which is a different beast. Um, it's a regular election until, you know, when you count the first round of votes, if a winner comes out right off the bat and has 50%, the election's over. So, so that then there's nothing, there's nothing fancy about it. It's just, you count everyone's first place votes. And if someone already has 50%, it, the, the game's, it's over. A winner announced, move on. It's only if in that first round of voting, the winner, the, the, the leading candidate does not get 50%. That's when you then, implement the the system of ranked choice voting to look at the second place votes of uh, the individual or candidate who was currently in last place. 
And then you redistribute those votes accordingly and keep rinse and repeating that process until a candidate crosses 50% and then you declare a winner. Right. And what that enables people to do is vote for with their number one choice, the person they really want to win and believe in, even if they know that person's likely to lose. And then with their second or third or fourth choice, they can get to the candidate that's more likely to win. So more people feel like they had a part in, in making that choice. Um, you can vote your conscience more. And it takes away this, like, I, I guess this winner-take-all system is still there, but it would be more be a more fair choice. And part of what you're speaking to is it could make the whole election process less divided and nasty. Maybe people being nice to each other and actually having real conversations and actually trying to convince people of the value of their ideas and plans would come back into our political system. I mean, the last 100%. debate, my mind, you know, it's hard for my mind not to go to the presidential race because that's what takes up so much of our Yep. Intention, but like the last debate was such a disaster and I watched the whole thing and I came out of it not knowing anything anymore, you know, like what these people would actually do in the next four years. There's nothing of substance that was communicated. You um, know, I, I think what everyone <laughs> took away was where's the mute button, right? So, yeah. um, so I mean, yeah, I, you're right. I, I mean, I would maybe separate the presidential election out a little bit just because that at that level, there's really no viability of third party candidates right now from which to um, really leverage the the benefits of ranked choice voting, I, I would argue. Well, right. Um, and so, and this, I think yeah. that's true in our moment in history. But if we right. had the ranked choice system in place for a while, and say there was a you know a third party or an independent person who didn't even have a political party, and he had twenty percent of the electorate like really liked his ideas or her ideas. That would be enough for them to get on the debate stage, for them to be on the ballot. Yep. And if those people knew that their vote wouldn't be wasted, that would enable that process to happen. So we could have a much more diverse, you know, actual debate instead of the system of uh, polarization that we're stuck in. You're 100%, 100% right, Julian. Yeah, I think over time, this would gradually empower third parties to have a greater stake, a greater share, a greater voice um, in our political system. Um, but, but you know, yeah, that would take some time, and it, whether it's one or two or three election cycles. But yes, ultimately, yeah, they, they would gain more prowess. They'd, you know, if I think they have to get over, what, 10%, so there's some number, I don't know exactly, someone will correct us, I'm sure. But they, I mean, they can't even get to the debate stage at this point, right. right? So, but it's because, and it's a sort of, sort of that catch twenty-two. They can't get to the debate stage because people realize that for the most part, if you vote for them, you're wasting your vote. So then they're not going to put in their support, even though they might really support those ideas. But ranked choice voting throws that calculus out of the water, and people go, "Yeah, here, here, you're my first preference," and and you know what, hey, Joe Biden's going to be my second. Um, and and then therefore they then are empowered with that initial support to then be a part of the debate stage. So so yeah, I, I agree. In time, that'll that'll grow. But where it has instant effect though is again in those state and um, and local races where right off the bat they're either nonpartisan or it's more frequent to have more than three candidates running for those where it, it has an instant impact. Um, and you see that in in communities like San Francisco and. And across the country that use ranked choice voting um, is is you see the positive gain. And, and to your point, it, it limits divisiveness. And it does so because, again, you, 
if you don't already have 50% of the electorate supporting you, by definition, you have to go seek out second place votes from your opposition. And Mm -hmm. that means reaching across. That means having policies that are a bit more moderate. You Mm -hmm. can't just slam policies into your echo chamber of your vocal minority because you just won't, there will not be enough second and third place votes to get you over the threshold. So it forces people to moderate their positions and forces candidates to be more cordial, to not run negative ads. A lot of some research has shown running negative ads is a death kiss for candidates in a ranked choice voting environment. Voters are heavily turned off for it, especially if they're looking if, if you are, you know, negative campaigning works fine for your own base. I mean, look, look at our current president. Right. I mean, he, he, he can get away with negative everything and it doesn't affect his base. But if but if to get him if for him to get elected, he had to reach out to people who are a little bit more skeptical. <laughs> then negative campaigning would 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 be over with um, in order for him to reach those folks. So the calculus changes and the game theory changes. And I think that's what's important. It's not that anybody knows the script of winning. It's that everybody gets to kind of start from a clean slate of a new system and and learn it and figure out how to run a good quality campaign that means reaching out to a broader coalition of people to get elected. And all of those are positive attributes of a political system that I think is, is you know, uh, coming of a, of a democracy like this country and uh, one that we would probably want to aspire towards. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I think this, like the question of incentives, what are the incentives is a, is a big one to keep in mind, but it's just so sad that we can't have more nuanced, intelligent conversation and debate in the year 2020. It seems like we're devolving. And so there's a lot of reasons for that. A lot of people are talking about that stuff, but it makes so much sense if you had this ranked choice voting system, everyone's vote really mattered and would go then to the candidate that was closer to you, maybe not your number one choice like we're talking about, but maybe your number two, number third. If you had five candidates like that on a stage and they're debating, the person that's going to do the best is going to be the one that reaches the most of those people rather than this. You're using the term vocal minority. It really does feel like the Republican Party has been so successful at this game um, and they've had so many successes across the country. And yet, do they represent the majority of the people? It, it doesn't seem like it. Uh, no. And, and I mean, well, they, no, <laughs> it's a simple <laughs> answer. Um, but, you know, whether they represent a majority or not, I, I think is, uh, you know, well, we'll see. Um, but what but what does remain is that we have an entire populace of of our of our country and then of states and local communities who just participate who just don't choose not to participate. They just don't vote. And so in many ways, you really don't we don't really don't know what a majority of this country wants. We just know what a majority of the minority wants, to be mm-hmm. to be honest. Right. Um and and you know, and if we had two hundred and 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 you know, if we had two hundred million people voting. Then, then one could maybe argue that that's the voice of the true my, true majority, but but we don't, and and so that's a challenge. And so, what you think about in something like ranked choice voting is those marginalized groups, marginalized communities, disenfranchised voters, and why they're disenfranchised. Why are they choosing not to participate? And maybe in some cases, not choosing at all. Right? The system prohibits them in some form or fashion from participating in our elections. Uh, I mean, there's either direct or indirect voter suppression going on. But but regardless of the reason, 
think about what it, what might entice them in terms of an incentive to participate. Uh, if, if you're someone that is, you know, in a, you know, I'll take Boulder for example. Mm. Um, you know, if you're not if, if you're not white and wealthy or affluent, you're you're on the outside looking in in a lot of the issues in our community. And so you have to ask yourself, like, what brings those folks in? Uh, and and in many ways, you have to think about sort of an empathetic approach. Mm. What, what is what is what matters to them? What is their world? Uh, what what are the things that affect them? And are there candidates that represent that? And the way we have it right now in Boulder, that's not, you know, we don't really have candidates that, that reach that group because of the way our political system has been sort of designed for decades. Yeah. But imagine a system where they get to go, hey, I know, I know I'm in the small minority here, but I do have needs and I do have things that I feel are valuable in our community. Here's a candidate that I want to support. I, they may not have a chance, but I want to express that support that gets them into the political process. Otherwise, they're, they're saying, why waste my time with a lesser of evils? Why waste my time? If my vote's not going to count, I'm going to elect some folks who don't really care about my community anyway. So mm -hmm. why participate? But this gives them a chance to not just participate and vote, but it starts to turn the Titanic, as I said a little bit ago, because now that's a group, that's a voting block that some of those other candidates now need to be able to reach out to and to reach out in terms of their policies to show that they hear them because they want those second and third place votes. Otherwise, it be you can in our current system, you can ignore them because the current system means you, you can win with 30% of your support, 40%. You don't have to include these groups of people in our political right. process to win. But well, with yeah. something like ranked choice voting, they all of a sudden matter and matter significantly and become part of that broader coalition that one needs in order to succeed. And that just, it just changes the landscape. Um, and, and I think that's a, a valuable thing for us not to forget is how does it affect those that are, those of us that currently participate? Yeah, sure. There's that it's, it's those that don't. And how does this bring them in? Because to me, that's probably more important um, than how it changes those of us that regularly participate in our election process. Yeah, I think that's such an important point. And like, it's the kind of thing we should be trying to do, right? To get more people involved, more people represented in different ways, like for their votes to count. Because um, like when you talk about that group of people that feel that way, it's it's probably more like groups. There's probably lots of little groups of people. There's all kinds of different populations that aren't, they look at the ballot and there's they think there's no point. And then a lot of times they might be right, like what you're speaking to. So. Well, I mean, look, it's the melting pot. There, our country is an incredible melting pot. And, and it's, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous to think that you slice up America and it's represented by two parties. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it, it, so, I mean, if you really wanted to slice up this country in terms of ideas and policies, it would probably be made of a dozen or more political parties of, of reasonable substance. And, and you go, well, that's an exchange of ideas. Like that's where real stuff happens. Mm. It's not. It's not split between two. And and so th there's a great opportunity um, uh, for us to consider that. And, but it's going to be incremental, right? Uh, people don't like change. Um, people in power, especially one, don't like change, but two, don't want to change the system that got them into power to begin with. So you know, in many ways, they're the gatekeepers to this. Um, so it is kind of a catch twenty two. Um, uh, but, but 
slowly but surely we're chipping away. So, um, I, and I hope our ballot measure is part of that next of a set of dominoes that helps really push this um, yeah. at, at a larger level. Well, I'm glad you said that this catch 22 of the people in power don't want to change the system that got them there. And I guess, like, how do you see, like, on a national level, like, if we look at something like the Electoral College, it's, like, incredibly unpopular. It's another example of one of those things where if, if, if there was just a measure on the ballot, do we want the Electoral College or not? I'm sure the vast majority of people would vote no, and yet we're stuck with it forever. Like, how do we... Is this ranked choice voting here in Colorado part of a national effort that could eventually make some of these changes possible? Uh, sure. I, I mean, the, the, the Electoral College is, is a complicated uh, matter for sure. You know, and there's a lot of sides to this coin. And, you know, and, and yeah, I mean, in Colorado, we have Proposition 113, which is a national popular vote, which is an uh, which would be an affirmation uh, to what our Colorado legislature passed. Um, that would join a pact of states that would assign their um, electors um, for the electoral college based on who wins the national popular vote. And if enough states sign on to this, it effectively nullifies the electoral college without changing the constitution. Right. And, and that's, you know, the kind of, that's the, the purpose behind it. But, it. but I just sort of maybe caution a little bit about just the, the simple idea of abolishing the electoral college, because there are some positives that come from it. And, but, you know, it's two, two sides to every story, right? I mean, the fact that, you know, my, my only caution and my concern, I should say not caution, is it just becomes a race of the coasts for president. And, you know, there is something to be said that you've got presidential candidates flocking to states like Iowa. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it really, I mean, you know, middle of the country, small, rural, low de population density. And that's, that's kind of important because that was the whole, that was the whole purpose of the framers of our constitution was to not make it a density game and a population game and make sure that rural parts of our country are still heard. So I get both sides. Right. And, and so it's a matter of how do we go about it in a way that doesn't just, uh, just carve a donut in our country and, ignore the, the voice of a of, of big swath of our country. Hmm. But it does remain to be seen. I mean, right. I mean, it, it, it's important that we are a democracy and yet we've had two presidents in 20 years that are not representative of a majority of our country, <laughs> but literally goes out and is our representative of the country. And so it, <laughs> it, it, it seems like that in itself is, is kind yeah. of is, is hypocritical. We, so, need to find a, yeah. we need to find a balance. I mean, when I think about Hillary Clinton getting more votes than like six times the population of what is it, Wyoming, and yet Wyoming gets the kind of some of these states get to kind of decide the election. Anyway, you're right. That's a whole other thing. But yeah. how did you get so interested in all of this? Like, how did you get so interested in politics and in the ranked choice voting? Um, well, sort of, I think a circuitous path. Um, I'm always, well, I mean, I've always been a political junkie, you know, the kind of guy that just always reads the, reads the news, reads the politics, likes to get into the, the, the debate of stuff. Um, my background's in astronomy and astrophysics. Um, I studied at University of Colorado, uh, then worked at the university running the planetarium on campus and, and worked for a bunch of faculty members on various NASA missions and um, you know, for me, I, I was in pursuit of just sort of this objective truth of life. I think that's why my desire to, to learn the 
you know, secrets of the universe, uh, was sort of, was, was, uh, so much of, of my passion and drive. Yeah. You've got that picture behind you that you said you took yourself, right? Yeah. This is actually a picture. It's hard to really see completely. If I sort of swing aside up right on my shoulder right here is the uh, elephant's trunk. Um, it's a nebula. It's, uh, it's quite a fun one to photograph, but yeah, that was taken here in Boulder. I've got a desk, you know, a, a deck telescope. And so it's kind of, uh, it's been my uh, uh, COVID mental health work for sure. Uh, late at night, go sit on the deck, uh, have a drink and stare at the stars and take pictures of the cosmos and sort of let my mind drift uh, has, has been uh, uh, wonderful therapy in these crazy times. But, um, you know, I mean, in terms of how it really got going, you know, I, I, I enjoyed all of my time in academia and what really sort of transpired was a family tragedy. Um, my dad and brother were killed in a plane crash in 2013. Oh, man. And that just, you know, and, and I think any, anybody who goes through that type of event, you are brought to your basic foundation and you come out of it thinking like, well, what do I want to do in this world that has meaning? Um, you know, my dad was 63, had, um, had made immense contributions to his communities and was well-respected, was a, you know, owned a business and was just, he, he made impact. Uh, my brother, on the other hand, had just was getting his life started and never really had a chance to impact his community because he was just getting his career started. Mm -hmm. And so for me, um, I realized like, you know, you just don't know how long you have. You, you can either be 28 like my brother or, or 63 like my dad and or anywhere in between. And it was like, no, I, 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 I don't want to fall into the older trope of, well, when I'm retired is when I'll, I'll get into politics and do all that. No, it was like, no, the time was now. And mm. there were urgencies, right? Climate change, the political dysfunction was already running rampant. And um, for me, it was like, how can I be that best example for uh, other folks, but more importantly for my kids, uh, but be the change that you want to be in this world. And so I was like, it, it starts at the local level. So I just, just sort of, I left the university and I just said, I need to just dive headfirst and go all in on um, making the community a better place than I found it. And uh, that's just a principle I hold true. It's, it's how I think about when I go backpacking um, or out in the wilderness, how, how do you leave that spot better than you found it? And I treat my community the same way. I treat our environment the same way. And so that's just a, a virtue I have. And, and I uh, hope to stay consistent with that. And that's why I dove right into it. And as I sort of told you a little bit earlier, you know, I ran for council and was a part of that election um, uh, process that just didn't set right. Um, it took me three days to get over losing personally. I, losing is not the issue. It was the sting of how my running a campaign actually led to a worse result for our community. Right. And you kind of go, that's not you don't run to make things worse. Uh, you only run, you try to run to make things better. And it was like, I make things worse by running and losing, yes. but stealing votes from other people. And you know, I just was like, wait, 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 this, this can't be the system we have here. Hmm. So that was um, what just said, all right, let, let's go all forth. And seeing that most obvious solutions were about our election system, studied a number of them. Ranked choice voting rose to the top very quickly for a lot of reasons. Most notably, it's most widely used. Um, and two, there's just a lot of good research behind it. There's other good voting methods out there. They just haven't um, had enough, uh, I would say, you know, time in the sun to be vetted, to have good data and research and really understand how electorates and how political scientists mm -hmm. evaluate it. 
Um, but ranked choice voting was there and I was just like, you know what? And again, in my scientific background, I, I really was like, how can I methodically sort of go through the, the analysis of this? And, and, um, that's where we landed. And so for the last couple of years, I've been really trying to bring election reform to our community and, and work with any and all groups and people that share the same understanding of we can do better. Um, it's not that it's fully broken, but, but it can be better. And, um, and it, so uh, yeah, just, it is, I, it I, is, but it, but yeah, yeah. I just appreciate your, you know, your loss there with your, your family members. And then it, it made you reflect on what's really important and wanting to do it now. And that led you to get more involved in politics and in a good way with like good motivation. And you mentioned like climate change and the environment. And that's something so many people in Boulder care so much about. So it makes a lot of sense that at a local level, you know, we do our part there, but then this like, you know, all that good intention and good energy and wanting to make a positive difference and then getting involved in local politics. And then this, this situation of like, it, you it, your run for city council ended up supporting the opposite, having the opposite effect of what you wanted. <laughs> and so then you turn around and you say, well, the system is fucked. Like, let's fix the system. Let's make a better system of how we vote and elect because what we, in a better functioning system, we'd have more people like you getting excited, getting engaged, have more people running, have more people wanting to be involved without it, like ending up doing the opposite of what they want. <laughs> so, yeah, I just, it's a good story of how um, dysfunctional things have become and how, and this is like a, a way to try to make them a little bit better. And the ranked choice voting makes so much sense intuitively. I think it's pretty easy to explain. I think most people get it when you think about it for a minute. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, you can't really, you know, it's hard to explain the process of ranked choice voting in 30 seconds. But when you look at all the exit polls and, and surveys of, you know, uh, of people, of groups and cities that, that do ranked choice votings, you know, the voters are like, yeah, it's a piece of cake. Like, I get it. I mean, and once you do it, you're like, oh, that makes total sense. It's just, but it's one of those things like you have to do it. To, for it to make sense, it, it 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 doesn't it doesn't it doesn't do well with words. I'll be the first right. one to admit. Ranked choice voting does not sound easy. It it mm. is easy in practice in doing, uh, but it's one of those things in words. It just doesn't. It just comes off a little clunky. Um, and I think that's why there's always this apprehension. Yeah. It does. It takes. Yeah, it does take time. But it just it doesn't. It's just not as simple um, in a thirty second bit to explain it. Um, so, but you know, for me, but it, I, I enjoy that challenge mostly because it's like, you know, I used to teach, you know, people about black holes and you, go, you can't do that in 30 seconds. Um, yeah. so, uh, so, you know, you do have to take the time and, and build that, the, the foundation of some other concepts to, to get there. But, you know, ranked choice voting, it, once you do it, it's, it's, it's easy and it's empowering. Um, mm. and when you realize like, wow, my vote isn't wasted, like I voted for someone, they lost and now I still get to, my ballot is still alive. Um, mm -hmm. where so many people, as soon as they're the person they lose, they, they're done and their vote's gone, their, their ballot's tossed. And so it's, a uh, it's awfully empowering. And I think hopefully more people understand that. And I hope it's a, again, it's about those marginalized people who are not already participating. I really hope this and some other things we can do can bring them into the fold because at the end of the day, we need their voice. Uh, to be honest, those of us that have been expressing our voice for however long, it, that's not working. We need new new voices into our political system to help um, um, move us in the right direction. And, and how do we get them to come out of the shadows and 
out of not participating into our electoral process. Yeah. Well, and I like how it's, it's not really, it's not a partisan issue. I mean, I'm sure in our given political climate, it would be made into that if enough people start talking about it, but it's, it's just a different election system that's going to be more fair, more democratic. You know, a conservative person could win using it. A liberal person could win using it. A libertarian could win, you know, so it's, it's really opening up the field even more. Um, I guess I'm trying to imagine, like I explained this to a couple friends the other day and they had some questions like, you know, if everyone fills out their ballot and ranks one through say four um, and your number one choice loses that first round, does everyone then go to number two or like the people who voted number one and their person got enough votes, like they make it to the second round or something. Do you want to explain how the votes would get kind of sorted out a little bit? Right. So, um, so take your first round accounting. Uh, you re- you rank four candidates. First round accounting, um, and you 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 go through. There's someone who's leading and second and third, and then there's the fourth place candidate. So after the first round accounting, you count only first votes. Hmm. Whoever is in last place after counting every ballot's first votes, that last place candidate is eliminated, and the ballots that voted for that last place person are the ones that get redistributed. Everybody else's ballots for candidates that are still in the race are still attached to that candidate. It's only the eliminated candidates ballots that then um, get rescanned and have their second choice redistributed among the remaining candidates that are still alive. So it's your second choice is only counted when your first choice is eliminated. Mm. And so if your first choice is still in the game, is still in the in is still in um, and is in first or second and hasn't been eliminated, your second choice has 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 not been applied to anything at this point. It's still about your first choice. And so there's countless elections where your your second choice, if you voted for a person who's hanging out in first place or ends up being a winner, your second choice, third and fourth are never even touched, counted, or 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 cared about. Mm, right. it, it's only when your primary, your first place vote getter candidate gets eliminated, do we then look at the second place. And so then and then you go redistribute. And if no one gets across 50%, you then after the second round go, okay, who's in last place after the second round? And then you eliminate that candidate and take all the ballots from that candidate. Now, that candidate's ballots. And I say that candidate's ballots, I mean the the people that voted for that candidate, um, right? You can just think of a stack of ballots with a person's name on it, right? You know, in, in a room, right? So, so I say that candidate's ballots. Now that's going to be a mix. Some of the people that voted for that second round candidate who got eliminated uh, voted for that person with their first round pick. And some of them, that was their second pick because their first pick got eliminated. And so of the people that now, sadly, lost their first place and now have lost their second place vote, it goes to their third place vote to get redistributed. But those other people that voted for that person, number one, it's now only their second place um, uh, preference that gets redistributed. So that's where when you discuss, it gets a little confusing, right? People like, wait, wait, so whose preference? But it's actually really simple. and And computers handle this really easy. It's just only worry about when you get eliminated whatever ballots were associated with that candidate, you just go to the next person down the line on their preference and then redistribute and then see if someone's crossed 50%. And when they do, then the counting's over. Mm-hmm. So in, in practice, it's really simple. Um, and it makes a lot of sense. It's just when you are hand-waving and 
doing this and you're talking to someone, it's easy to kind of get lost or get confused. So that's why it, the wordsmithing of it, it, it's not sexy when you talk about it, um, but but on paper and, and in practicality, when you use it, it, it works. And, you know, exit polls are, you know, are like 85, 90 percent of people are like, yeah, there's a piece of cake. We love it. And so you go, OK, so clearly it's working. And, and that's why it continues to spread uh, around the country as fast as it does. That's awesome. Yeah, that was a good explanation. So it's already in use in a lot of local elections and in, it's used in Europe, right, on a bigger scale. Yep. Mm-hmm. And in Australia, Australia, um, it's used in um, it's used in San Francisco and Oakland. It's used in Minneapolis. It's um, in a test phase in Utah. So to your point about Republicans, I mean, there's a no- quite a number of Republicans and uh, who who see this viably as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 in many ways, they see it viably as well because they you know they get it like we do, right? They they even in places like Utah where you know you might have a tendency to have more conservative candidates for city council or whatever you still have the issue of spoiler you still have the issue of you know uh, people you know strategically voting not wanting to vote for lesser evils so regardless if you put an r or a d around people the, the perils of our current system exist regardless of democrat or republican and this is just still a viable solution to fixing some of those issues um, those are not liberal or conservative issues. They're American political system issues. And that's why I think it's it's very nonpartisan when you boil down to it um, and, and strip away this extemporaneous or, or, or people not wanting to change because they're currently in power. Once you strip the biases away, it's, it's very straightforward. Mm, nice. Yeah, makes so much sense. And I mean, there's so many people that I've talked to that they don't fit into the Republican or Democratic box and they don't want to. And there's a lot of people who feel <laughs> that they're put in that box. Like, I mean, it's a whole other subject, but things like race and identity, it's like intersects with this two party system, I think in ways that are really toxic and it's we're polarized and we're fighting each other. And um, so, yeah, I'm excited about this, about this idea. And it's, you know, it's one small step at the local level. But hopefully it'll spread more and more. Like you're saying, there's a lot of places already doing it. it makes so much sense. I well, hope, you know, I hope yeah, that the future, like we just get outside of this whole two-party system. Like I think that is time, it's time for a change. Like that's not serving us anymore. Well, it's certainly not headed in the right direction. Uh, you know, so it, it, yeah, right. I mean, it begs the difference. I mean, are we going to expect these two parties to change again? They know what wins. So why would they change the game? if they know that their game plan will win. Um, so yeah, no, we have to change it from within. And, and I, you know, one of the phrases I like to sort of say is, you know, um, change percolates up. It doesn't trickle down. And, and what I mean by that is the change that we want to see at those higher levels, it starts here at local levels. It starts at cities, counties, and states. If enough, if enough cities and states enact these changes, it's an inevitability that it will then percolate upwards and and be the change we see at the national level. Uh, that that change doesn't get disseminated downward, um, and 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 it never does, right? Because those in power don't want to ever see the change. Um, so we have to put it on ourselves. And you know, some you and I talked with you know when we were setting before we you know started this podcast was you know what do we expect from our government? Is it reactionary or is it proactive? Like, do we want them to always react to a crisis or do we want them to proactively, uh, you know, do things that limit or prevent the crisis from happening to begin with? 
Right. And so that's a philosophical question, but it's also a pragmatic one. Um, when you start to think about what's the role of government, and I don't think we've ever seen a functioning government that's proactive. I mean, can you imagine a, a proactive <laughs> government? So, so I think there's a lot of things that we go, we have simple things that we can demand, but it starts with the majority of whatever voting block and, and voting populace expressing themselves and having then the government represent a true majority of that group, then you can change the system. But until then, it's, you know, you're ice skating uphill. And, and right. so we just wonder why, why we're not getting, getting anywhere. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. I think there's a lot of power in, um, how do I put this in the words, like, like ethics, like being on the right side of a question, being on the right side of history, so to speak. If enough people start talking about this and having this conversation, it's clear that something like ranked choice voting increases our representation. It makes it more democratic. It makes it better. It's, a, it's just better. If you look at the two, if you look at our current system versus ranked choice voting and you make a pro and con list, it's just, it's clear which one is better. So if enough people on the local level start doing it and then they're asking their senators, they're asking their congressmen, or maybe yeah. they'll even make it to the presidential debate stage. It's like, which, you know, do you support this or not? It's going to be hard for someone to to really defend the current system against this one if they're honest. And it's not a partisan thing. It's not about conservative or liberal. It's about fairness. It's about um, having more people's vote count. It's about, you know, it's about these things. And another benefit of it that I just thought of too is like, if we have this system, you don't have to have a runoff election. And it kind of, there's not going to be so many, it, it would be very rare for a, there to be like a 49 versus 50% kind of thing. It would be a much more clear, satisfying outcome in general. Certainly, yeah. And you add more candidates, the chances of you getting clo even close to a tie are, are statistically, you know, irrelevant, more or less. Um, but yeah, no, it, 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 it saves money. You don't have to deal with instant runoff. You don't have to deal with voter fatigue that come with runoff elections. Um, but like I said, it also saves money because you don't have to run that election again. Mm. Um, and so, there, yeah, there's a lot of those benefits. And, and you bring it right. It just makes sense. <laughs> it really does. And I think you get past the, you know, the, any sort of stigma of, of what a new voting system is and can be. And you just present people with it working and show them. And like I said, we've done these test elections where it's like, hey, rank your favorite hiking trail in Boulder in order of preference. And people like that. They're like, I want to know what the majority of, of these people think. Um, we do it with cookies or candy. And and people were like, once they do it, it's amazing. Once you get them to do it, even if it's digitally, um, like we have a little digital app that we use to get people to sort of play around with ranked choice voting, where they get to, in graph form, see how the results shift from round to round and how a winner is declared. Yeah. And then once they do it, they're like, yeah, that makes total sense. <laughs> like That's see, a good example. Like, you know, yeah. I mean, I could spend a half hour explaining it to you, but if you just do a 10 minute election, it'll make more sense to you just by doing it than me trying to explain it. So, and maybe that's a, uh, you know, that's a critique that I'm not as great of an explainer or teacher as I might be. I think I am, but, um, but either way, it, you know, the doing is, is what it is. Yeah. And it's a good example with the candy. Like if you just wanted to know a group of people, what the most popular kind of candy was, or if you, you know, if you were a company with a bunch of different products and you want to figure out what people like the most, it's not about a system where they vote for their number one and they divide up into two parties and fight each other. It would be like <laughs> you actually want to know what they actually like the most. You, you would do something like this. Like it just, you know, it makes more sense. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, and, I, and I say, I think it's, it, it, 
more and more places are adopting. And at least here in Colorado, there's um, already some legislation that's being worked through the, the state legislature, um, and, and it's being worked on by some folks. And, and from what I hear, by sometime next year, there could be a vote on it uh, at the state level. Um, and maybe, you know, by the end of the year, it's off to Governor Polis's desk to signing it. So there, there's already some enabling legislation, which would make it even easier uh, for communities throughout the state of Colorado to, to use and adopt new voting methods. And, you know, yes. And, and so even our state legislature, they're hearing, they're listening. Um, but again, it's, it's always the Titanic. It's slow. It, it, <laughs> it changes not fast. And so as long as you keep your eye on the prize, you, you don't get jaded on the slow process. Um, and just as long as you're making incremental change in the right direction, then you, you stay with it. Um, and, and I think, you know, at least here in the state of Colorado, we're, we're headed in the right direction right now. Yeah, it's, it's a good, it's a good message. Like, and you don't want to change things like this too quickly, but I do believe that collectively we're at a point where some real changes are, are wanted and needed over the next few years. And I think the election of Trump has shown that I think coronavirus has shown that. So I would like to look at all this you know, challenges we've been through and have a positive outlook that we'll, we're going to move, we're going to make some changes and move in a good way. And I think this will be a part of it. You know, if enough people get this on the state level and have the conversation, it's only a matter of time until it's a national conversation. Oh, 100%. And, 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 and to be honest, I don't think we're that far from that. Um, you know, when you've got states like Utah exploring this and you got Massachusetts, you got, or, and you got Maine, you got New York, and you got California that's starting to, that's starting to do this. And, and Colorado is going to be not far behind. You know, the dominoes are falling, and and in slowly but surely, I think more and more will head that direction. Um, and you know, I, I you know, if I were to rub the magic eight ball, I would say in ten years' time, um, we're going to be having serious national dialogue about about formally changing our our electoral process um, mm -hmm. in, in in a meaningful manner. Um, these things gain momentum, um, and, and they are momentum changing. And, and so I, I think that that's, we're, we're near, uh, an inflection point where we're going to start heading where things are going to change pretty quickly, uh, yeah. certainly with, with, with continued dissatisfaction with our current system, the more pitfalls, the more times our country falls flat on its face, um, <laughs> to be, for back, lack of better words, you know, we, claim to be this bastion of, of democracy, and yet we seem to just not get it right. Um, we just mm -hmm. are stumbling on it right now. And mm -hmm. at some point, we're going to get to a place where we, 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 we hit ourselves enough. We're going to go, okay, we got to find a new way to do this. Um, so um, I, 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 you know, we're, we're smart enough. We'll, we'll, turn, we'll turn the corner. Yeah, absolutely. I think we will. I think um, four years, six years, I don't know how long, but I think, I think things are going to change. And I think when I think about all our whole political system. I think like the unlimited money is like so disgusting. <laughs> it's been such a disaster. And with the growth of technology and social media for all its ills, we have things like this podcast where like anyone can share new ideas, can share new perspectives. There's massive communities that are totally outside the Democrat Republican kind of binary camps. And I think those are going to have more and more big impacts on our whole country. And I think so. I think there's, there's a lot of positives too. And I think some of these conversations will slowly percolate out into the so-called mainstream. Um, yeah. and, and they are a little bit, right? And, you know, and, I, and, and again, to some extent, and I go back to sort of reactionary, I mean, 
yeah, I mean, in the time of COVID and, and everything else that's going on, we're dealing, everybody's just with what's right in front of their nose. I mean, that is where we're at. And something like changing our election systems a little bit more, seeing the forest for the trees, it's a little bit more long-term planning. And right now our country, and, and you know, and I hate to speak in gross generalizations, but we're in crisis management mode in, mm-hmm. in, in, in literal and figurative manner. And I don't until we can get out of that. I don't know if it's it, it, it's palpable to really be discussing in a meaningful way, changing and really shaking the system up, um, because in many ways the system as is is really the only thing holding us together. It, as faulted as it is, it's real right. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's the, the it's the tenuous remnants of 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 what we've got left. Um, so yeah, so I think, I think we have to let things settle down in a lot of facets via COVID and just our institutions as a whole. And, but, and then we can maybe start to get there, but it is, it is hard to shake the boat, um, in in our current times. We need, I think I just, we just need to start talking with each other more, you know, not be so divided and polarized and not reconnect with with the humanity and like the you know everyone wants to improve their life and most people want to do the right thing and make the world better and we need to like reconnect with our our common values around this and i think that i really hope that will happen more and more like i still i think like i think you're absolutely right like we're in crisis like coronavirus has been really tough um and then out of that crisis something something better could emerge something you know more connection could happen um, I hope so. That's my hope. I can tell you. I can tell you personally. I'm craving human to human interaction. I mean, I mean, as much as it's nice to interact with you, Julian, over this, there's something that there's something still sterile about this environment, and and I just hope that out of maybe COVID, that that craving for human interaction is not just get back to where we were, mm. but is done so in a in a new way, a way of of empathy. Right. How have you like the, the, the curiosity of how has others dealt with this? How have others made it through these times? Um, and I think, you know, if we start from a place of empathy, we're, we're going to just be better no matter what. Um, but, you know, what happens in in this hyperpolarization is it's all about me, 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 what's going with my silo. And then everything else is is just ignored. And. I hope as this sort of as as we pop out of this COVID bubble, hopefully in the next six months, a year, however long it takes, we we re-enter that society that we've been craving with a new lens and a new filter and uh, a new lease on on what it's like to connect with others. Um, I, I just that's my hope. Um, I, I know I will sort of leave the COVID bubble with those <laughs> intentions. I, I just hope others do as well. Yeah, I think having lost a lot of our ability to connect face to face and in person, like makes us made it's made me so much more appreciative of those times. And so I think you're absolutely right. Like when the bubble of coronavirus has finally popped, will be um, like, there'll be a new appreciation for being able to gather together, for being able to see music together or talk in person or meet in person and even hug someone like, wow, how amazing would that yeah. be? So. <laughs> Right. I mean, yeah, there's these primordial instincts, right? I mean, how, I mean, yeah, I mean, a year ago, did, did any of us realize how much we subconsciously craved touch mm. and contact? I mean, it's 
right? I mean, because when it's there all day, you know, I mean, for me, I get to hug my wife and hug my kids. And, you know, so you, so you get that, you know, you shake a hand, you know, you shake and hug a close friend. I mean, you get that contact. And so you, it's being met all the time. And so you kind of don't pay attention to some of these primordial subconscious necessities. And it's amazing, like just being able to hug or shake someone's hand or tap someone on the shoulder. I mean, they're just so expressive and, and we don't get that. And so it's, it's amazing how much of that stuff is so deep um, that you just didn't know was, was deeply seated. You thought you just took it for granted as everyday life. I mean, I know I did, um, but oh, it's, it's amazing what that has taught us. Yeah. Yep. Big learning for all of us. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Well, it's been great having you on the podcast. Thank you, Julian. I really appreciate it. This has been a really fun conversation. It's been fun to sort of share some ideas and, and thoughts and, and maybe more importantly, aspirations of, yeah. of, of what we see uh, and hopes for down the road. Thank you so much for listening. If you have found this podcast valuable, there are many ways in which you can support it. You can share it with friends and on your social media. You can leave us a review on your favorite podcast listening app. And you can visit our Patreon page, patreon.com backslash a state of mind. For show notes and more information unique to each episode, visit estateofmindplay.com. And to learn more about my work as a therapist, meditation teacher, and coach, visit julianocean.us. And please don't hesitate to send me a message or email and let me know what you think and contribute to our conversation. Thank you so much for your support. It is listeners like you that make all this so very much worthwhile.